Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello and welcome. I'm Ken Rundle and as promised we're talking grassland and grazing this time. With me is Philip Cosgrave, Yara's country grassland specialist. Philip, the proper management of resources has always been at the heart of farming, but just now it couldn't have been more vital with cost rising in almost every direction. As we begin the grazing season, what should be at the forefront of the grassland farmer's mind? Dare I say that grass is even more important this year than other years because of the of the cost of of um, alternative feeds. So, I guess an important thing as we as as we kind of finish up in March and look to to April on many farms um, that are rotational grazing, that the first round will be hopefully will be will be finishing up in the next week or two. And I suppose it's important then that that um, when we look into our our second round that we. We keep an eye on when we start that second round with regards to, you know, doing a farm walk, being very regimental and doing a farm walk every week, not missing them because this is a, an important time of the year for doing those farm walks um, and really keeping abreast of what grass is on the farm and then what, um, you know, forecasting um, how much grass is going to be available in the in the days ahead. And we, you know, the second rotation is a really important rotation to get right, because if we don't get that right, then it will affect the quality of subsequent grazings as well for the third and, and, and fourth and fifth rotation too. So it's 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 really important for this second rotation in April that we, um, you know, make sure that we get good graze outs that were, that residuals are down to four centimetres. And then that will ensure then that the following rotation then, you know, you'll have quality grass coming along that will be basically will be of higher nutritional value. Have you any guidance about priorities? I mean, I realise getting maximum production from each field is important, as you've just said, but so is a good supply of winter fodder and bought in feed. Again, as you mentioned, won't be cheap in the autumn. How do you balance the two given the present circumstances? Many farmers are looking to to cut back on, you know, fertilizer applications because of the cost of it. But we 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 have to be very careful with that. And I guess as we go into March, into April and May, generally what happens on many farms is that the actual stocking rates on the grazed um, part of farms is, is increased. So there's more animals being kept on a, on a set area to allow for first cut silage to be taken. Now, if you have the same number of stock or the same um, stocking density as, as normal, and you're basically because you may not be applying the fertilizer that you were applying. So it has meant that maybe you're you're grazing um, an area that you thought you would have closed up for first cut silage down the road. That will impact, you know, on the ability of you to, I suppose, have good quality winter forage um, available, you know, to feed animals during the winter. And, you know, if it's not there, then you have to find feed somewhere else. So certainly, yes, keeping abreast of, of um, you know, walking paddocks, walking your grazing block, you know, and making alternative arrangements if you don't think you're going to, um, you know, grow the forage that you think you will need for the subsequent winter or for um, during the summer, if we end up getting a very dry period during the summer, that forage, that, that silage has to be fed. We need to make sure then that we have enough forage to um, bridge that gap. The talk just now is all about nitrogen and its cost and how to deal with that. But other nutrients play their part as well and often help the grass make better use of any nitrogen that's available. 
it, it's not just in bags either. So there's this the slurry and dung. What, what do we got to say about the phosphate, potash, etc.? With farmers who are planning to take a P and K holiday, well, we know how much money we're going to save on taking a P and K holiday. But um, but the issue is that we don't know what. Um, the risk associated with not applying it is. So it's very hard to actually calculate, well, by not applying that P&K, what are we going to lose out on? So I would say that on farms that have good soil P&K fertility, well, then there is room for manoeuvre on those farms. But on farms that are highly stocked and soil P&K fertility is not so good, it's not optimal, well, then, you know, it you, you may not uh, apply the same, you may not be applying uh, the P&K that you would normally be applying, but certainly it's important to apply some P&K. And um, on grazing, for particularly, you know, for phosphate, you know, if we can get that out in this, um, you know, in this April period, end of March, early April period, you know, that's um, going to help optimise grass production in this kind of, you know, these peak months of April and May. And they'll also, particularly sulfur as well, you know, if, we're, if we are applying um, nitrogen fertilizer, by having the sulfur in it will get you more bang for your buck for every kg applied. So by by using a, a, a fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer with sulfur in it will um, improve the utilization of that nitrogen. So that's um, certainly worth considering. And also where slurry is available, obviously slurry is is should be prioritized on on silage area silage fields but if you know from looking at soil results soil test results and p's and k's are are you know on your high um indexes for p and k well then there's room to maybe uh look at, at using that slurry elsewhere and we know that most of the the value in slurry is actually in the p and k content but if we have you know very low dry matter slurry or watery slurry as we call it well, then if we can apply it through, you know, um, you know, low emission spreading techniques like trailing shoe or a trailing hose, you know, that can be very beneficial even on, on, on grazing ground, you know, after animals have been removed from a grazing, that if you go in and apply that, um, you know, low dry matter slurry, that watery slurry, you know, it won't spoil the grass and it should be, there should be no grass rejection by the time um, you have to go and graze that paddock again. So there's, you know, we should be looking, we should be open to, to utilizing all the, the these particularly organic nutrients um, in ways that we probably haven't used them before. You've mentioned sulfur. In previous conversations, selenium has come up. Uh, any comments on that? Well, selenium, like the, the majority of, of, of soils are low in selenium and then the grass that's growing from those soils is, is low in selenium. Um, selenium is not a, a nutrient, a micronutrient that... Um, you know that the grass requires or crops require but it is a requirement for for livestock um so we know as we come up to the breeding season and um, particularly on on dairy farms on spring block calving uh, dairy farms and also on, on spring calving suckler farms that basically selenium intakes can be an issue and we know that by using um, fertilizer that's fortified with selenium, we can ensure then if, we if we're using that, that will fortify the grass to, to, to levels that will provide adequate levels of, of selenium for um, grazing animals. So that's something that farmers should be aware of. You know, Yara have a number of products. They have a, the booster range, um, you know, particularly Nutri Booster and, and Stock Booster S. There are, are nitrogen and sulfur with selenium. And then also our, our NPKS with selenium. So they're two good um, products, 
particularly on, on for, for grazing to ensure that we're getting enough selenium into our livestock. But basically you're urging farmers not to mine the soils this season in the hope of things getting better next year. Um, for a start, given the agricultural reforms in the UK at least, um, farmers are going to be encouraged to try and build up the, the, the quality of their soils for carbon storage and everything else. And to start actually depleting them at this stage is not necessarily the right, uh, right way to be going. Yes, and, and there's no, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace on, on um, you know, what way um, the price of, of fertiliser, particularly um, the P's and K's, are going to be, um, you know, in the year ahead. Um, and there's no uncertainty that they will return to the levels that we're, that there were last year. Um, so, um, you know, there's no kind of, you know, free lunch when it comes to P and K fertility. You know, we have to, if we're, if we're taking grass off it or if we're grazing animals and we're, 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 we're taking P and K constantly off our grassland area, well, then it has to be replaced some way, whether it's true placing organic manures are through um, P and K in a, in a bag. But unfortunately, what's, what's taken off will have to be removed to maintain soil fertility. And obviously, you know, to improve, um, yeah, the response to, to applied nitrogen as well. We talked about, obviously, about management of resources and dealing with those issues. But it, from what you're saying, it seems to be a paddock by paddock approach rather than the, across the farm. It's very much down to really knowing each each small area of the farm and, and what you can get out of it and what's best for it because the days of a broad brush approach seem to be gone given the cost pressures. You know, for example, if you're applying, um, you know, nitrogen on, on certain paddocks, you don't want to go willy-nilly with the same um, application rate over all paddocks. What you would be looking to do is, you know, what paddocks are going to give me the best return for that nitrogen? So you're looking at new reseeds, areas that have, have, have pretty much got a history of growing more grass, you know, lighter soils that are probably warmer um, and heat up quicker. So there, you're looking at, at um, you know, I suppose, what, where am I going to get the best return for this expensive fertilizer? And that's something that we need to take more account of because, you know, this is a really important time, this kind of April, May period for growing grass. A big proportion of the overall, you know, grass grown for the year is grown during this kind of end of March, April, May period. So if we don't get that right, it can leave us in, in, in um, you know, difficult circumstances then for the, for the subsequent months. So we need to get it right using those resources, you know, and if that's resources using um, mineral fertilizers, well, then we need to use them efficiently and place them where we're going to get maximum return from them. You mentioned reseeds there. I'm just wondering whether, given the present circumstances, it is right time to consider changing swords, new grass varieties, new species, mixes, things that perhaps even two or three years ago, farmers wouldn't have thought worth bothering with. Um, now everyone's looking at best bang for the buck. Is it worth thinking about or is it worth maybe taking a bit more advice on? Oh, I think it's certainly worth thinking about, Ken. You know, if we spoke about this last year, it would have been very much with um, sustainability would have been forefront of that, you know, you know, would have been my response to this question. But we can see now where um, where obviously there's the sustainability story of, of using new grass varieties and whether using, um, you know, using more clover and obviously multi-species swords. But now we're looking at farmers are looking at, well, look, if, if energy is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be expensive in the in the in the short to medium term, 
and we know that our fertilizer is highly dependent, the cost of that is highly dependent on the price of energy. Is there a way in which we can um, become a little bit more resilient? And, and you know, these, you know, uh, looking at, at changing the types of, of swords we're growing to using, you know, less, um, I suppose, using swords that are less reliant on nitrogen will be, I think, uh, a really a, a big focus for farms in, in, in the coming coming year. But at the same time, I don't think that farmers should jump into these um, with two feet. I think they need to be dipping their toes in them. They need to be, if they haven't already tried them, they need to try them on a couple of paddocks, see how they um, how they work. Because, you know, farms, different farms will, will have different, um, you know, these particularly multi-species swords will work differently on different farms, different farm systems. So I think it's, it's um, certainly worth farmers trying these, but at the same time, we need to be careful in that they do they do require different level of, of uh, expertise in, in managing them. Right. So let's remind ourselves about your key points in this podcast. What do you want farmers to focus on and remember? Well, the first thing on, you know, where farmers are rotationally grazing, I think they need to make sure in the coming over the coming month to make sure and particularly for coming off that first round. Um, and even if you're looking to rip, to, to cut back on nitrogen applications, pretty much if grass has kind of been grazed, you know, even small amounts of uh, small, uh, low application rates of nitrogen will, um, you know, will basically, um, you know, give a quite a good response in the, you know, in, in this time of the year. And basically, you know, it's grass will respond very well and basically regrowth will respond very well, even to, you know, moderate uh, nitrogen application rates. You know, set up swords for you know the second round. Make sure they're grazed out well, and um, to set you up for the rest of the season. But then, you know, on on farms that are looking at really cutting back nitrogen, you know, you need to mind very carefully what the forage requirements, um, you know, the winter forage requirements are, um, and you need to pay close attention that you're, you know, that you're growing enough grass, or you're 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 basically looking at you know, filling in that gap. If you're not growing to go grow as much um, silage, that you've got uh, some other plan in mind to actually, you know, fill that forage gap for the for the winter ahead. Because certainly those costs are going up as well. Thanks then, Philip. A practical approach as always. Philip Cosgrave is Yara's country grassland specialist. And as we look forward to what will be an uncertain spring and summer in so many ways, let's hope the weather at least plays ball wherever you are. I'm Ken Ruddle. Join me in a couple of weeks' time when I'll be taking an early season look at the fruit sector. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.